When your emotions come into alignment with ultimate reality, it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. It's also a beautiful thing. When your emotions come into alignment with reality, it is a powerful thing. I remember, um, I guess it's only been three or four months now, um, and my dad had sort of unexpectedly passed away um, from cancer, and we were just trying to sort of process that. And that was really the first time in my life that I'd really experienced any serious loss. And so I wasn't even really sure what it looked like. And I've done grief counseling before, a typical pastor, you're counseling on something you've never even done, right? That's like the single guy doing marriage counseling. So I, I, had, I had done grief counseling, but I never really processed grief. And so when my dad passed away, I just, I was like, okay, what is this going to look like? And how do I deal with this? And I think my whole family, my wife and our kids, we're all trying to figure out kind of how do we deal with this, you know? And I think it maybe was two nights after my dad had passed away. And my dad had been sick for about, I don't know, four or five months or something. And so we'd been praying for him every night. We pray with the kids before we go to bed, you know. And uh, my sweet boy, five years old, he had been praying every night for Grandpa Steve. When I pray for Grandpa Steve, I pray Grandpa Steve would feel better. I pray Grandpa Steve would feel better. And then two nights later, my kids hadn't really shown any emotion yet. They hadn't really seemed like it clicked for them that, that Grandpa Steve was gone. And so like any other night, my son began to pray, and he said, Lord, I pray for Grandpa Steve. And I had to stop him in the middle of the prayer and I said, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you're praying for Grandpa Steve, but Grandpa Steve's gone. We don't need to pray for him anymore. He's, he's gone. He's, he doesn't need prayer. He's with Jesus now. He's not around anymore. And it was like it clicked in that moment. My five-year-old boy began to weep. Tears began to run. And it was like the floodgates burst for all of us. We just had a family moment. We just all let it out. We just all cried, and I held my son, and we cried together, and we just needed that. We needed to cry together. And it was like it took my five-year-old son getting it to, to help us tune into something that we needed to feel, a moment we needed to experience of sorrow. When, when emotion comes into conformity to reality, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a powerful thing. And there's a movie that was made that you guys, you kiddos probably have seen this. How many of you kiddos have seen the movie Inside Out? All the parents are raising their hands. Okay, it's a great movie, right? And the, the, the movie, the plot line of the movie really is about emotions. You kiddos, you probably got in your bags, you guys got little emojis, right? Or little, little circles. All the, the, all the older folks are like, what's an emoji? No, uh, it's, it's those little faces that, that have different emotions. So the movie Inside Out, it's so interesting because it goes inside the brain of this little girl named Riley, right? And what was so profound about the movie um, it was so interesting what the movie, the, the whole plot line was driving to this fact that in order for her to truly have joy, she had to experience sadness. And it's so interesting because the way that they cast inside of her mind, she only has the ability to have one feeling at a time. And that's how, kind of how it is when you're a little kid. You feel one thing at a time. Either you're really happy or you're really angry, but you don't feel multiple things. But as she starts to grow up and mature, she starts to feel multiple emotions simultaneously. But in the movie, they think, well, she has to be happy, so therefore joy needs to be at the steering wheel. But what she ends up learning throughout the movie is that it's through her sadness that she actually experiences true joy. She needs to feel sad. Sadness is part of life. Okay? Emotions are something that we all deal with. There's something that, whether you're the most emotional person physically or the least emotional physical person, emotions are something that you deal with. Just like I'm breathing in and out right now without even thinking about it, I'm also simultaneously feeling emotions right now without even thinking about it. I'm not going to tell you what those emotions are. There's probably some anxiety in there, you know, 
a little bit of confusion. What was I going to say in my introduction? Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, but whether I want to or not, these little lights are going off, these little emotions. And part of being a human being is learning how to deal with those emotions. Part of being a kid, one of the things we try to raise our kids to do is teach our kids to know how to deal with their emotions. And the reality is, is that the only way to truly understand ultimate reality is through an accurate understanding of our emotions. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next seven weeks, okay? We're going to be doing a series called Emotional Intelligence, as you can see up here. Now, uh, quick disclaimer, okay? Uh, We teach from the Bible here. We teach expositionally. We teach through books of the Bible, and that's what we do 99.9% of the time. But every once in a while, we will stop and do what's called a topical series. And the reason we do that is because there are certain topics that I think deserve our attention for a certain period of time. And of course, we look to Scripture for the truth in those series. But what we're going to do is for the next seven weeks, we're going to stop before we jump into the next book of the Bible, uh, which will be Philippians. And we're going to think about this idea of emotional intelligence. And what I'm going to do this morning is just try to set the table with an introduction to the series. We've picked seven, basically seven emotions that we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks. Uh, And what I'm going to do this morning is try to bring some definition uh, and and some some texture to what we mean by emotional intelligence. I'm sure if I sat down right now and asked each one of you, what is emotional intelligence, each of you would probably give me a very different definition. So we're going to do some work this morning to try to clarify what we mean by that. And I'm going to try to do some work for you to see why this is so biblical. And it's such a part of being Christianity. This isn't Philippi goes TED Talk, okay? This is a massive part of the New Testament theological uh, emphasis. And I want you guys to see that. So let's dive in. I want to start in defining emotional intelligence. I want to start by saying what emotional intelligence is not, In other words, emotional unintelligence. Okay, let me just dig into that really quick. What does it look like to not be emotional intelligent? Sometimes when you're trying to define something, the best way to do that is to say what it isn't, and then you kind of work backwards, okay? So what is emotional intelligence not? There's two ditches that we drive into when it comes to emotional intelligence. There's two ways that you can become extremely emotionally unintelligent. One is to suppress your emotion, and the other is to be possessed by your emotion. So we're going to talk about those two really quick. And some of you in this room are probably like, yep, that's me, or, oh, that's my wife, or, oh, that's my dad, and some of you are the other side of things. So let's start with emotional suppression. Emotional intelligence is not emotional suppression. It's not the ability to shut out or shut up your emotions. That's not emotional intelligence. The emotional uh, suppressor says, emotion is too unstable and too unpredictable to be of any use. So I'm just going to stay locked up. Now, there is a generation or two, uh, largely our our grandparents and even to some degree my parents, that were very much raised on a diet of emotional suppression. They grew up watching Clint Eastwood and John Wayne. And they said to the same, so to be a man, to be successful is to shut your emotion down, right? Because you can't be a gunslinging guy in a Western who kicks butt and takes names if you have feelings, you just shut those feelings down, right? So that was one of the ways that emotional intelligence uh, is very common in our culture. Now, there's a really interesting movie I would encourage you guys to watch uh, with Tom Hanks called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Have you guys seen that? It's about Mr. Rogers. And what I love about this movie is Mr. Rogers, one of his stated purposes in his career was to help kids deal with how they're feeling. Uh, But what's so profound about the movie is that he ends up helping an adult deal with how he's feeling. 
And what you have is you have this really successful journalist who's an adult that never never really learned how to deal with how he was feeling. He was an emotionally suppressed person. So Mr. Rogers, played by Tom Hanks, is just very lovingly helping this guy understand how to work through his issues, and he's got all kinds of issues, because he's been suppressing his emotion. And by the end of the movie, he's this new man, right, that he's in touch with how he's feeling and things. It's it's kind of interesting, but what it does is it depicts this error that we've had in our culture for a few generations, where people have suppressed their emotion. The unintended consequences of suppressed emotion are as follows. Our culture has at times suppressed, suppressed the voice of women in culture because women tend to be more emotional. This is a mistake. Okay? Anyone who's married in here to a woman knows that just because your wife is more emotional than you doesn't mean she doesn't have insight into things. Okay? So we've, we've, we can tend to suppress women's voices. We can tend to um, be emotionally detached fathers. Because we don't know how to talk to our kids about how we're feeling. We don't know how to talk to our kids about what we're thinking. Which leads to children that grow up looking for affirmation in the wrong places, right? Because daddy never really told me he was proud of me. Daddy never really told me anything about how he was feeling. He was stone cold Clint Eastwood. And and so I have no idea. So I'm going to look to the world for something to, to find affirmation. Okay, so that's the first way you can go off the rails and be emotionally unintelligent. The first biblical example I thought of with this was David. And you're thinking, David was an emotional guy. He wrote the Psalms. He he was the harp guy, you know? I mean, come on. If you remember, there's a story, and I'm not going to go into the details because it's kind of graphic, but there's a story about David where his son, Amnon, uh, did something pretty terrible to his sister. And so Absalom, David's oldest son, took it upon himself to do what David wouldn't, and he ended up basically taking the life of Amnon. It's really like Jerry Springer twisted kind of stuff, right? And what David does, he doesn't know how to interact with Absalom. So he shuts him out. And they have this relational dysfunctionality between David and his son for years and years. And Absalom starts to grow so bitter and so angry at his, angry at his dad for shutting him out that it ends up causing a civil war. And Absalom literally takes half the kingdom from David. David has to run from Jerusalem, running from his son. This is what happens when we're emotionally unintelligent, when we're unable to process, when we suppress our emotions, okay? But that's just one ditch. What's the other ditch? The other ditch you can drive into is emotional possession, as in being possessed by your emotions. In other words, emotion is you, and you are your emotion. Welcome to millennial world, okay? This is where I live, Okay, I sit and I talk to millennials and they say things like, this is true. And I say, where do you get that validity for that truth? And they say, I don't need it. I just feel like it's true. And I say, well, how do you know where your feelings are true? They say, it doesn't matter. I feel like it. Okay, that's emotional unintelligence. Emotional unintelligence is giving too much credence to your emotions, saying whatever I feel is most real and whatever is most real is what I feel. Okay, I just gave you a window into every 30-year-old. that you. Okay, your feelings are ultimate reality. The unintended consequences of this emotional unintelligence is you get your wires crossed. So if someone says they don't agree with your lifestyle decision, you think they just said they hate you. And you're saying, no, 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 no. I don't hate you. I just don't agree with your lifestyle. And you're saying, no, my feelings are me and I am my feelings. Okay. So how do you, how do you deal with that? When you are, uh, possessed by your emotions, you have no foundation. Your core values change every time you watch a documentary. 
I felt this way, but now I feel that way. So I'm going to change everything I do because I feel like this. It's not on bedrock. It's not grounded on something that is objective and outside of yourself. It's all based off of what you're feeling. This is one of the unintended consequences. You begin to excuse sinful behavior because you feel like God is cool with it. If I had a penny for every time someone, if I had a dollar for every time someone said, I think God's cool with this. And then I say, that's funny because he said he wasn't. But then they say, but I feel like he is. What do I do? What do I say? I feel like God's cool with my addiction. I feel like God's cool with me living with my boyfriend, girlfriend. I feel like God's cool with this whatever it is. Feelings are not to rule you. So emotional intelligence can be suppressing your emotions. It also can be being run by your emotions. And isn't it interesting how many times in the Bible catastrophe happened because somebody was being led by their emotions? How about Adam and Eve? Can you think of anything more costly? The enemy comes to Eve, and he comes through her emotion, and he says, did you know God's holding out on you? And what does she feel in that moment? FOMO. Does anyone know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out, okay? You learned something today. Write that down. He appealed to her emotion. You are missing out. God has more for you than God is giving. He's holding out on you. And now what Eve could have done in that moment is she could have stopped and said, I am not led by my emotions. I am led by God's word. And she could have taken God's word, but she didn't. So then she goes to her, her emotionally led husband and appeals to his emotion. You, know what, you want to know what his emotion was? Happy wife, happy life. She wants to eat the fruit? Sure. As long as you're cool. As long as we're good. Complicit, right? Okay, whatever the emotion is, the reality is Adam and Eve brought about all of this fallen world because they didn't stop and sift their emotions. Here's another one. How about Cain? Cain's feeling anger. Why is Cain feeling anger? Because he brought a sacrifice and it wasn't acceptable to God. So God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, why are you angry? He literally questions his emotion. And Cain goes, he doesn't stop. He doesn't check his emotion. He doesn't answer the question. He just doubles down on his feeling and he goes and he slays his brother. Okay? It's a mess. Here's another one. What about Saul? King Saul. Saul starts to feel jealousy towards David. You know, because Saul's killed his thousands, slain his thousands, and David's ten thousands, and he starts to feel jealousy. And instead of stopping and tuning into reality, he chooses to let that emotion rule him. Okay, so I could go on and on and on with biblical examples. You probably have some examples in your life of when you let emotion run the show, and it probably didn't go well. Okay? I'm also not talking, when I say emotional intelligence, I'm also not talking about just simply being, having an emotive disposition. What I mean by that is some people in here are wired to be more emotionally, emotional, physically. Okay? Like, I, I've probably cried like four times in the last 10 years. Does that mean that I'm not emotional? No, it just means that I don't show it as much. You'll probably never see me cry in the pulpit. I'm just going to tell you right now. doesn't mean I don't care about you guys. doesn't mean I don't care about what I'm saying. I'm just not that way. So when I say emotional intelligence, I'm not just saying, well, someone who is or isn't very physically emotional. That has nothing to do, that's physiological, that's biological. When I say emotional intelligence, what do I mean? Okay, let's get into the definition here. What is emotional intelligence? What do we mean when we say that? The short answer, it's the Sunday school answer. What is it? Jesus is the picture of emotional intelligence. 
He is the template. He is the perfect example of emotional intelligence. I, want you to, I just want to remind you of a systematic theological truth. Jesus was fully God, is fully God, and added humanity to his divinity. That means that he is fully man, fully God, fully man. And as such, he is fully human, which means that he experienced the gambit of all the human emotions. And we have many of them written down, sequences in the New Testament of what it looked like when Jesus experienced anger and sorrow and fear and anxiety. All of these things, Isaiah 53 says he's the man of sorrows. We see Jesus weeping drops of blood in the garden. We see him weeping over Jerusalem. We see him angry at the tomb of Lazarus. We see him angry in the, in the, in, in the yard out in front of the temple at the tax collectors. We see joy. We see, I think, humor when he comes to the disciples and says, how's the fishing for the second time? That's a joke. He's funny. He's human. So the beauty is, is I, I won't have to turn on some scientist or something to learn about what it looks like to have emotional intelligence. We just need to read our Bibles because Jesus is the perfect picture of emotional intelligence. Hebrews 2.17, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Isn't that amazing? He is the definition of emotional intelligence. And what is emotional intelligence? Here's our working definition. Are you ready? Our working definition is understanding, conforming, and harnessing our emotions to more fully reflect and exalt the glory of God. Understanding, conforming, and harnessing. I picked those three words very carefully because they're our outline for the rest of this teaching. Understanding, conforming, and harnessing our emotions to more fully reflect and exalt the glory of God. Not suppressing, not shutting down, but understanding, conforming, and harnessing. So now, how do we become emotionally intelligent Christians? Well, that's what the series is about. That's what we're going to spend the next seven weeks thinking through. But what I want to do this morning is I just want to give some definition to how to become emotionally intelligent Christians in large, okay? And, and we're going to give three steps. These are biblical steps. These are very basic, fundamental Christian steps. My hope is, my desire for you guys is that we would create a whole, we would create a church full of whole and healthy followers that feel deeply in the ways that Jesus felt. That's my hope. My hope is that we would be people that have Christ-like and deep emotion because I think that's what sanctification actually looks like. So here we go. If you're a note taker, we're going to look at three ways to become emotionally intelligent. And these are three steps. And the sequence is important. Okay? And they come right out of our definition. Three ways to become an emotionally intelligent Christian. You need to understand your emotions, number one. Conform your emotions, number two. And harness your emotions, number three. This is what we see Jesus doing all throughout the New Testament. Number one. Understand our emotion. Emotions are the window into your soul. They're the window into your soul, and they are a window into the state of your affections. What do you care about? What do you love? What do you think? What do you believe? Your emotions will tell you what you believe. They'll tell you what you think. They'll tell you your experiences and how those experiences have shaped you. If you listen to them, they're a window. We would be foolish not to look in. Now, part of understanding emotions Understanding emotions is asking the question, what are emotions? You ever thought about that? What are emotions? 
I'll answer that question in four ways. First of all, there's a, there's a physiological answer to that question. This is the one you'll get on Google. Okay? If you type it in Google, you're going to learn that emotions, and this is true, there is a physiological, a biological, a neurological element to your emotions. It is a chemical release in your brain where your brain is telling your body to feel a certain way based off of the data that it's reading. Okay? It's, it's very much scientific. Now, it's certainly not less than that. It's much more than that, but it's certainly not less than that. Okay? And that's why certain people, their brains are misfiring certain chemicals. They may not literally be able to feel the kind of joy that you do. And so praise God, but his common grace, we've even found ways um, to, to allow the brain to release the right chemicals, allow the brain to work right. Emotions are on, on one level, they are very much a biological, physiological reality. When you feel joy, your brain is releasing a particular chemical, allowing your body to feel dopamine and other things that allow you to feel happy, elation. When you feel anger, your brain is releasing a particular chemical that allows you to start to, to feel rage and feel your, your dopamine starts pumping, your heart starts pumping, your blood starts pumping. It's a physiological reality. But that's not all emotion is. There's also a theological answer to what emotion is. Okay? Now, what I, what I, what I don't like about when I Google emotion is that these scientists have the gall to try to define something like emotion without even mentioning God. But that's the world we live in. Here's the reality. Emotion isn't a byproduct of evolution. And it's not even something that God created. Listen, it's something that reflects God. When I say created, I don't mean that he was sitting around. I, I mean, he wasn't sitting around thinking, hmm, I think I'll make humans with this thing called emotion. When God made you, he made you like him. He made you to reflect him. And did you know this? This might blow your mind. God has emotions. You're like, well, I know Jesus has emotions. No, no, no. Yes. And God the Father has emotions. When you pick up your Old Testament, you will see an emotional God. A God that shows anger, regret, sorrow, dissatisfaction. All of the, all of the emotions that you experience, God experiences those and is perfect and sinless. So how can you possibly hope to determine what emotion is if you don't even understand the template of what emotion is based off of? The answer to what is emotion, emotion is an attribute of God. And so to know what emotion is, we have to start asking the question, how does God emote? There's another answer to what emotions are, and that is the ontological answer. Ontology is just the study of the person, okay? And the ontological answer is this. Your emotions are broken. I want you to say that. My emotions are broken. Uh, let's say it a little more confident. My emotions are broken. <laughs> All right, broken. Sweet. Okay, your emotions are broken. My emotions are broken. And this is the reality that we live in a fallen world. So even though we were created with emotions and emotions are a good thing, they will and can lie to you. In fact, Satan and the flesh will weaponize your emotions as an agent to destroy you. Did you know that? So you got to recognize that when you understand that your emotions are not to be entrusted inherently. They're not to be suppressed, but they're also not to be trusted inherently because they're fallen. And there's one more answer to the question, what is emotion? And that is the soteriological answer. Soteriology is the study of God's saving. And the reason I use that word is because it rhymes with the other words, okay? Um, God is in the business of redeeming your emotion. 
Isn't that cool? He's in the business of changing you. If you're a believer in Christ and you have been born again, he's in the process of making you a whole human being that feels appropriately. Isn't that cool? So as you mature in Christ, your emotions are maturing in Christ, and the hope is that someday we would feel like Jesus felt. That's emotional intelligence. Now, understanding emotion, this is really important. Understanding our emotion means engaging, or pardon me, understanding emotion means rightly categorizing our emotion within the complex layers of human behavior. When you do something, it's not just a chemical thing. When you do something, there are layers to that action. Okay, let me give you an example. Yesterday, I got in my car, and there was a car on this side, and a car on that side. And I got, I got in my car, and all of a sudden, I started rolling away. And so what, what feeling do you think I'm feeling? Fear. Anxiety. So my body's letting chemicals go, and now my blood's pumping, and what am I doing? I'm mashing on the brake, right? Like, stop. I'm rolling away. Stop. Am I in park? What's going on? Ah, and then I start freaking out because I realize even though I'm mashing on the brake, I'm still rolling away. And then you know what I realize? I'm not rolling away. The other car's backing out slowly. Have you ever had that happen? Okay. That's a perfect example of emotion lying to you. <laughs> okay? That's a perfect example. And here's my point. It's very simple. What, listen, what you believe dictates what you feel. When you feel something, it is because you believe something. If I'm in the woods by myself and I hear a big rumbling in the bushes, I start to feel fear. Why? Because I believe in bears. I'm a believer. Okay? And I believe in cougars. Real cougars. Not the other ones. Okay. I believe that these things exist. If I didn't believe in those, I wouldn't feel fear. What we believe is upstream from what we feel. And this is why when we open our Bibles, which we are going to right now, open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The New Testament authors are not concerned with changing your emotion primarily. You won't find it. Because changing your emotion is downstream from what's really important. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Are you reading along with me? But be transformed by the renewal of your emotions. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So part of dealing with our emotions is understanding that what, what we feel isn't necessarily something we always choose to feel. I mean, when that car was backing out, I wasn't choosing to feel that. I'm just feeling it. You could say your emotions, in a sense, are amoral. They just are. It's just, they just come out. But behind your emotions, underneath your emotions, is belief. What you think to be true. 
And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is he's saying the way that we change and transform humans is by changing the way they think. And that's what sanctification is. And when you begin to change the way you think, it begins to change the way you feel, okay? The change must start in your mind. Now, this is important. Here's what I'm pushing towards in this first point. I want you guys to be Christians that sift your emotions. I want you to be Christians that question your emotions and recognize that everything you feel is connected to something you have believed. And what you believe has eternal ramifications, as well as temporal ones. I want you to be Christians that go, wow, I just felt something. What did I believe that made me feel that? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it valid? Is it true? That's the call here, to be believers that sift our emotions. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Your thoughts, your feelings are to be sifted. They are to be questioned. Part of sifting your, 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 your emotions is being able to communicate them. And this is where, I'll just be honest, as men... We're terrible at this. We really are. We would rather just shove it down and move on. At the risk of getting in trouble, women tend to struggle the other way. Okay, how long are you going to talk about your emotions? At some point, your emotions, you got to, okay, like just tamp them down, okay? Let's just be honest. Men tend to struggle with the suppression, and women sometimes tend to struggle with Emotions ruling you. But the reality, what Paul is calling us to do here is to be those that sift our emotions and ask the question. I want to give you some really practical questions to ask of your emotions this week, okay? I want you to ask four questions of your emotions. And I'm not talking every time your stomach rumbles, okay? I'm not talking every, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, when you feel something and you go, well, that was seismic. You ever have that? You ever have, like, like anger just comes out of nowhere and you're like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Or you're watching a, a, the news or something, or something just really pricks you, and you're like, whoa, I just felt. I want you to ask these questions. Number one, ask this about your emotion. Is what I'm feeling based on reality? Is what I'm feeling based on reality? In other words, did I just turn on the radio and heard some guy who I don't even know spouting off things, and I don't even know if it's true? Okay, is it based on reality? Number two, is what I'm feeling triggered by something that I need to be aware of? For instance, like you might have a coworker that will say something to you and you react in a way that was kind of uncharacteristic for yourself. Like, why did I react like that? It wasn't even a big deal. And then you remember that you had another coworker just like him that reminds you of him. And when that person opens their mouth, you impose all that person's garbage onto that person. Okay, Th that's emotional intelligence says, hmm, I wonder why I'm being irrational right now. There's probably a reason. Okay, so you stop and you ask the question, what is, what's connected to that thing? Thirdly, I want you to ask, how does God feel about this thing? How does God feel about it? If he doesn't say, it might not be that big of a deal. Okay? How does God feel about it? And then lastly, 
is God calling me to respond to this? And we'll get more into that in a minute. I want you guys to be people that within three spheres, self, God, and community, learn how to speak what you're feeling in order to sift your emotions, in order to get at your sinful soul and see it sanctified. Self, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Prayer, I want you to stop in the morning when you're feeling something, any time of the day. Lord, why am I feeling that? Search my heart, oh God. Be there any wicked way in me. And I want you to do it in community. I want you to have people, Christians, the body of Christ, that you go, you sit down with and you go, man, something ugly came out of me the other day or something beautiful. And I just want to figure out what's under that. Emotions are the window into your soul. You should look in, and you should look in together because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Okay? So the first thing we do is we understand our emotion. The second thing we do is we conform our emotions. We understand our emotions, and then we conform our emotions. We not only sift our emotions, but then we take what we sift and we submit it before the Lord. And we say, God, what do you want me to do? Here's a perfect example of this. Jesus was told by the Father to go to the cross. He knew that. Now, he's fully God, fully man, so he's got emotion going on. He's in the garden, and he knows that in a matter of hours, there'll be a fake, illegal mock trial in the house of Caiaphas, and then he'll be dead before dawn, right? So he, he knows this is coming, and he's dreading it. And it's not because he's afraid of getting his hands pierced. It's because he knows that for the first time he is going to be disconnected from the Father. The Father's wrath will be poured out on him in place of sinners, and he's terrified. And he's in the garden, and his friends can't even stay awake. So he's alone in the garden. And when I say garden, don't picture secret garden. There's a bunch of olive trees in the desert. I've been there. It's ugly, okay? It's not beautiful. He's there. He's alone. He's praying. And you know what he prays? God, I feel like not going to the cross. That's what he says. I'm paraphrasing. If there be any other way, what's he doing in that moment? He's sifting. He's sifting his emotions. He's not suppressing, but he's submitting his emotions to the Father. He's saying, God, I feel this way. It's not sinful to feel this way. It's not sinful for Christ to feel like not being crucified, but he's submitting it to the Father. And here's where the cool thing happens. Not only does he sift his emotions, he submits his emotions because he says the words, not my will, but your will. And then he chooses to make his emotions surrender to his belief because he knows that God knows what he's doing. He's sifting his emotions. He's surrendering his emotions. He's conforming his emotions. Imagine what it would have been like if Cain or Adam and Eve, or any of these biblical characters would have stopped and sifted their emotions. Just think about it. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and Satan is there, and he's tempted them. Hey, you FOMO, right? You're missing out. What if Adam and Eve had stopped and said, hold on, you're pulling on my heartstrings here. Of course I want more. I'm a human being. But God actually said this, and I believe his character, and so I'm going to choose to surrender my emotion in this moment. That's called, you know what that's called? It's called faith. It's called faith. And here's why my generation is having such a hard time with biblical Christianity. Because biblical Christianity calls you not to surrender your mind, but to surrender your emotion. 
And when I say not surrender your mind, I mean, it's not calling you to be stupid. It's not calling you to blind faith. It's calling you to a logical faith. But what it's calling you to do is to say, I'm going to trust and feel later. We are terrible at that, aren't we? I want to feel now. Part of Christianity is learning to say, God, I'm going to trust and let the feelings come later. We are to surrender our emotion, be doers of the word. Just a little sidebar here. Obedience does precede faith, but at some point, this beautiful thing starts to happen. And some of you guys have been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know what I'm talking about here? This beautiful thing starts to happen where obedience and feelings start to come into alignment. And you start to feel right. That's great. When Jesus said, ask anything in my name, the answer is yes. He wasn't talking about some kind of word faith stuff. He was saying, if you ask anything in line with my will, the answer is yes. And you start to grow and you start to walk in faith to where your emotion starts to be in line with God's reality. It is a beautiful thing. I also recognize, by the way, that there are people in here that struggle with that with, with, with mental issues that, that, that make it harder for them to feel certain things. And what I'm not doing is I'm not saying, hey, you know, just believe your Bible and you won't be depressed. I'm not saying that. That would be a lie. Okay? What that means is that for the person that has a disposition to depression or anxiety or fear, they will have to probably work even harder to believe even when their emotions are telling them something else. We all have dispositions. We all have struggles, Right? So we understand our emotion, we conform our emotion, and here's the exciting part, we harness our emotion, okay? Now, I've been largely talking at this point about emotion in a negative sense, but the reality is is that we feel as humans, even fallen humans, we feel a variety of emotions that are good and actually reflect God's nature. And what we want to do is after we've sifted our emotions and after we've conformed our emotions, now we want to harness up the good ones, like horses, right? And we want those babies to pull us in the direction that God wants us to go. If you look at any movement of God, anything that God has done in history, almost always at the head of it was someone that was tapped in to godly emotion, passionate for something of the Lord. Read the book of Nehemiah, chapter one. We're studying out Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. If you're a guy, shameless plug. Right here, 6.30 a.m. Tuesday mornings. Nehemiah chapter 1, we looked at it this week. Nehemiah gets news that his city has been destroyed, that it's in ruins, that the building project has stalled, that there's no wall, that the weeds have grown up. And you know what he does? He falls into his knees and he weeps bitterly. It literally says that. He allows godly, sifted emotions to propel him into the rebuilding of Jerusalem, which would honor the Lord. Listen to me. You need to feel what God feels. It's going to get you doing what God wants you to do. What does God feel about? And what is he asking you to do based off that? That's harnessing your emotions. Let me ask you, what things that reflect God's character are you passionate about? Harness those. Harness those. Ask the questions I gave you earlier. One of the most important ones is, God, are you calling me to do something here? The best person to lead the movement is the person that's most passionate about it. God has given you affections for certain things. My wife loves babies and children, particularly the forgotten children. 
She loves forgotten children. And I have been so blessed to be able to stand back and watch her thrive in an area that God is using her in foster care now because she's doing what God put in her heart. She's listening to her feelings in a sifted way and taking in babies. It's a beautiful thing. What has God put on your heart? What has God put on your heart? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Go. Do it. See, this is one of the mistakes that we've made in Christian evangelicalism in the West. We've, we've made two brands of Christianity. One that's all about emotion and all about feeling. And one that's completely suppressing and all about the mind. God wants you to be emotional humans that use their mind. He wants you to tune into his word. And he wants your emotions to stoke the flames of your passions to serve him for his glory. Let me give you a couple, by the ways, a little couple side things, okay? Now, if you are wanting to be tuned into your passion, tuned into the thing that God put on your heart, just a couple bewares. Culture is the water we swim in, right? We're like fish. So if you're a fish and you're in the water and there's toxins, guess what? You're picking up those toxins. You don't even realize it. Okay, as Western Americans, we swim in the culture of Western America, particularly evangelical Western America, if you're someone that's been in the church for a while. And there's some toxins I want you to be aware of that are going to inhibit your ability to be used by God in your passions, okay? The first thing is, you have been inoculated to sin and injustice. Do you understand what I mean by that? You have been inoculated to sin and injustice. You know what inoculation is? It's where they give you just enough of the disease to keep you from getting it. We, in our culture, have taken in so much and seen so much and been so aware of so many injustices and so many sins and so many things that should break our heart that we've become impervious to what I think God would like to be open nerves. Can we be Nehemiah when we get the news that something is broken? Or are we so callous because Hollywood has made all the things that should break our heart become commonplace for us? That's a fear for me. Am I, am I, can I hear your voice, God? Because I'm just so used to, to gore and sadness and injustice on the news and on the TV every night, every day. Can I even feel what you want me to feel? Can I be incensed by the fact that millions of children are murdered in this country every year? Can I feel that? Or am I completely cauterized, inoculated? Secondly, some more toxins. We are, as a culture, addicted to emotional stimulus. We eat emotion like candy. We want our nerves and our emotions to be messed with. That's why we go to theme parks. That's why we watch movies. Make me feel. You know why? Because we have a generation of dead people that need the gospel. They want to feel. They want to feel. And so what that means is that sometimes we don't feel as easily as we should. Because... We've given our, it's, it's like you don't crave real food when you eat McDonald's, right? You crave McDonald's. We have been on a steady diet of entertainment and emotional stimulus. We are addicted to it. And it has kept us, I think, as the church largely from seeing and feeling what God wants us to see and feel in our communities and in our nation. And lastly, we have settled for empathy over action. What I mean by that is you sit in a theater, you feel something, and you feel like you did something because you felt something. No, you don't. You watch the news, 
You see something about an ethnic cleansing in another country, you feel bad, and you go, oh, well, I felt bad. That's enough. No, it's not. I'm not saying you have to do everything, but I am saying that you are to do something and that God wants an open heart that feels what he feels so that he can drive you to be his hands and be his feet. And my prayer, my hope for this church is that we would be a church that feels deeply, that we would be a church that, that can't drive by Riverside Park and not have a broken heart. And can I just confess for a minute? I drove through Riverside Park the other day and I was angry. And then later I thought about that and I thought, that's the wrong emotion. What am I angry? I'm angry because I can't take my kids to the park. I'm angry because there's needles on the ground. I'm angry because there's tents everywhere. I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. And then I stop and I think about it and I'm like, that's the wrong emotion. Heartbreak, sorrow, sadness. Not because these people don't have a house. We know that's not the issue. Heartbreak over the depth and the layers of sin that have, that have come upon our community and, and let brokenness and hurt into our community. Do we feel over that? We need to feel. I pray that we be a church that feels. That Romans 12, 15, we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay, so what? Now what? Let me just give you some to-dos. Let me give you some things to do. I know this feels like a to-do sermon, but it is. Okay. Here's some things to do this week. I want you to stop and sift your emotions. Part of being a disciple is being disciplined. Part of being disciplined is saying, I'm going to take ownership for what I'm feeling. Just because you're feeling something doesn't mean it's right. I want you to do what I just did. When you drive through Riverside Park and you feel an emotion, I want you to say, why did I feel that? And is it right? And does God care about it? And is he asking me to do something about it? I want you to ask someone close to you this week, if you have fallen into either ditch, are you an emotional suppressor? Are you an emotional obsessor? Are your emotions running you? Are you suppressing your emotions? Which one is it? Or do you just struggle with either of those areas? Look for feedback in that way. That's what the body of Christ is for. Ask your wife. She'll be honest. Okay. Turn down the volume of the world's feelings and turn up God's. Man, I, I, we take in so many opinions, and those opinions shape you more than you realize. And sometimes those opinions are okay, but if you're listening to talk radio all day, what you will care about is politics. I'm not saying politics don't matter. But just take note. How much am I tuning into what God has said? And how much am I tuning into what other people think is important? That's why we spend time in his word. And lastly, and most importantly, I want to challenge you this week to apply the gospel to every emotion that you feel. When you feel a negative emotion, I want you to recognize that that negative emotion is probably a failure to believe the gospel. You feel longing, you feel covetousness, you feel desire, you feel something is unmet, something, that's, something that, that, is, that is bringing about a simple desire in you. I want you to recognize that the gospel is the answer for that because the gospel is the satisfaction for what you're craving. And when you feel a positive emotion, when you feel joy and happiness and satisfaction, I want you to remember that that is a foreshadow of a greater reality to come. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't just Jesus paid for your sins. The gospel is Jesus is coming back to create a world full of emotion that is redeemed and not sinful, full of joy and happiness and maybe even some sorrow as we remember and think back. But that sorrow will only cause to maximize our joy for the glory of God. 
The gospel is the answer. My desire for this series is to create whole and healthy followers of Jesus that feel deeply in the ways that Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me and we'll close. Father, thank you so much for this topic. Lord, thank you so much for making us the way that you did as humans. Thank you, Lord, that we are created in your image, imago Dei, image bearers, and that, Jesus, you modeled what it looks like to live as emotional human beings. Lord, we pray that this week we would take ownership for our emotions, that we would question, that we would sift our feelings, that we would apply the gospel and realize, Lord, that you could not love us any more than you do. And you want to sanctify and redeem our emotion for your glory, Father. Lord, even for these kiddos in here this morning that I know struggle with emotion, they feel anger, they feel frustration, I pray, God, that you would work in them, that you would use the parents this week to lead their kids in emotional intelligence to be tuned in to the window of their soul, God, we pray. Lord, make us a church that honors you, glorifies you. God, make us a church that has nerve endings for the sorrow and pain in this community. Lord, help us to see where you want us to help, what you want us to do, where you want us to apply resources, where you want us to give, God. Make us a church that feels deeply about what you feel like. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day.